Welcome to Our Story, Your Story, the video podcast where we share our personal experiences and invite you to share yours. We are Toby Eunice and Shelley Carney, and together we'll take you on a journey through our lives and the lives of our family, friends, and guests. We believe that everyone has a story to tell, and we can all learn from each other's experiences. So whether you're looking for inspiration, entertainment, or simply a good story, you've come to the right place. Have they come to the right place? Always. (laughs) Hello and welcome to Our Story, Your Story. Today we're talking about... Oh, sorry. Oh, don't you want to introduce yourself? Oh, I'm Shelly Carney. And I'm Toby Otis. Thanks for joining us then. (laughs) I'm the one who talks at the beginning. That's me. Uh, Tonight we're talking about chapter six of From a Gypsy's Kiss, A Treasure Hunt Adventure. I'm trying to leap ahead. I'm just like, why am I in a hurry? I shouldn't be in a hurry because this is probably the shortest chapter. It's two pages, right? Yeah. Yeah. Probably the shortest chapter in the whole Wait, book. wait. Before we start having the conversation. Okay. What's the theme? So folks know what we're going to be talking. I'm not quite sure. So if you think you know what the theme is, put it in the comments. Um, I'm going to kind of put forth the idea of it's kind of about sportsmanship and getting along with people. But it's also uh, about being a mentor and, you know, I don't know. You'll have to tell me what you think. All right. I will. Okay. You know I will. So Is there something six. on my shirt? No. Oh. You <laughs> looked at my shirt like the, the, You're that. so paranoid. No, no, no. It's that look you always give me when you go like that. And then you say, oh, there's a chili stain on your shirt or something. Mm, I do that a lot, huh? Yeah. Because I have a lot of chili stains on my shirt. <laughs> Okay. All right. We're going to get started with Chapter 6, Playing Baseball. Most of the students that come to play ball are boarding students, but there are a couple of townies who know there is always a pickup baseball game they can join as soon as the weather warms up just a little in late winter and early spring. I hope Brother William will choose me for his team, giving me the opportunity to compete against Brother Allen and his team. I like that good-natured rivalry. William indeed chooses me, and I am put in my favorite position at shortstop. Although I'm not as big as some of the other players, I'm quick and have a strong throwing arm. I can reach first base with ease. We play with the comfort associated with athletes and gentlemen who really enjoy playing the game. It is a close game until the bottom of the ninth inning when Brother Allen, up at bat, fires a shot between first and second base, a line drive that ends up far into the outfield. Before the ball reaches our catcher at home plate, two more runs score, and Brother Allen's team wins the game by one point. We line up for the customary after-game handshakes, congratulating each other on the quality of our play with phrases like, well done, well played, and my favorite, good job. When we play sports, Brother Allen hikes up his cassock and ties it with a belt around his waist to free up his legs so he can run at top speed or slide into one of the bases. He also rolls up his sleeves, revealing a pair of Hawaiian dancing girls tattooed on his forearms. He has a more worldly view than the other Christian brothers, most of whom went straight from school to the brotherhood. That's why Brother Allen is the one we all go to first when we need a man's opinion or advice. 
Feeling thirsty and hungry after expending the bulk of our energy for the day, we move as a group towards the cafeteria, expecting to get there before dinner. We can't wait to pour ourselves large cups full of ice and tea or lemonade, refreshing ourselves after a day in the warm, dry Santa Fe weather. Brother Alan walks back along with Oscar, several other students, and me. Chatter erupts in spurts, recalling brilliant plays and funny moments from the game we just played. As we near the cafeteria, I stop Brother Alan, allowing the other boys to go ahead. He reads my serious expression, saying, what's up? I think there's something missing in my life, I explain. No kidding? There's a whole bunch missing in your life. You're a teenager, and most of your life is still ahead of you. You'll have plenty of time to pick up all that missing stuff. Adults say things like that to kids, but I don't want to let it go. I test the waters a bit. Okay, so what's Mardi Gras all about? Brother Alan's eyebrows show surprise at this unexpected turn. He shrugs. It's an annual final party before the beginning of Lent, where everybody gets drunk and mostly makes fools of themselves. You only need to go once, but you need to go once. He chuckles as memories flood his face, turning his eyes nostalgically happy. Well, you guys talk about it a lot, so much that I feel it has some religious experience associated with it. Brother Alan snorts. It is kind of a religious experience, but probably not how you're imagining it. <laughs> I promised myself that I'll go one day, I confide, trusting him to understand. You gotta do what you gotta do, kid. Brother Alan pats my shoulder and guides me into the cafeteria, thirsty for that big cup of iced lemonade. You gotta do what you gotta do, kid. Gotta do what you gotta do. So uh, there's some other things I should tell you, bro Brother Alan. Mm -hmm. uh, that was, not only did he spend a long time in the Navy, but he was married. And he had two children, a boy and a girl. They both went off to college and... As they completed their college, the year they completed their uh, college, uh, his wife died. And so he felt like he needed to do something else with his life. And he chose the Christian brothers. He was gray-haired by the time he was our... What did he teach? Government, the history, government, that category of, uh, of classes. Um, but because he had, you know, because he had had this experience, uh, in the Navy, uh, and he wasn't an officer, he was a, what they call a non-commissioned officer, um, having children, having a spouse, losing a spouse, letting his children go into the world. So he had all these worldly experiences that some of the other Christian brothers didn't. Now that, that is not to diminish the value of their knowledge. I mean, they were very knowledgeable. Um, they, uh, a lot of them were psychology uh, minors, uh, in addition to the area of specialty, whether it was the sciences, the, uh, you know, whatever whatever path they chose. Um, so whenever you had a question that was bothering you that you felt like one of the Christian brothers who didn't have that experience, uh, you asked Brother Allen, and he always had an answer. And he didn't have any problem, I think, because as a non-commissioned officer, with 20 or more years experience, you're getting questions like this all the time from the new sailors that you're trying to guide in their own way. 
uh, and or raising two children in, in that way. And so he had a lot of those answers and he, he was very good about giving them. He always stayed within the, within the context of uh, Catholicism and Christianity, right? He didn't, he didn't, he wouldn't tell you to do something that was the equivalent of breaking one of the Ten Commandments, right? You wouldn't get advice like that. But he was never, he was never overt about it, right? It was always a well thought out uh, discussion with him about the realities of life and what a child, a young man around 15 years of age was having to deal with and how how he could offer advice to deal with it. And it wasn't that said, oh, you need to go to church and pray or, you, you know. <laughs> it, it was real life stuff. It was, yeah, it was real life stuff. Yeah. It was the stuff that, that you felt like was a reasonable solution and that you could implement that. If he had said, you know, to him, when he, he you're asking about Mardi Gras. And he has two very distinct perspectives of Mardi Gras. One, it is Mardi Gras, the last Tuesday before Ash Wednesday and the beginning of Lent, a major Christian period, Catholic period in time that leads up to, you know, Easter. The day before Ash Wednesday. The day before Ash Wednesday, <laughs> that's right. Uh, so that's one, that's the religious perspective. The other perspective is the guy that at one time was in, in the Navy, probably found himself in the harbor in New Orleans at some point to the other around Mardi Gras and did what everybody, you know, would do. And that is you get blasted and have a good time for, and, and it's actually, it starts the Saturday before, actually it starts the Friday before. So it's Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. Mm. Um, and it's a big deal. It's, it's, you know, one of the, the iconic signatures of the city of New Orleans. And so he had that experience as well prior to becoming a Christian brother and a better Catholic than I suppose he was before that. Um, so you knew that if you asked him about it, he couldn't help but see it from two perspectives. One, it's the traditional beginning of the religious holiday. And two was, you, you got to do it. You know, you got to do what you got to do. Uh, and that's actually pretty good, good advice. When you think about it, it's very sim simple advice. Well, if you have to do it, do it. If you feel in your heart you have to experience Mardi Gras with all the possibilities, with all the possible bad things that could happen to a 15-year-old <laughs> at Mardi Gras, yeah, go do it, you know. He can't say that. He's a Christian brother, and, and, uh, and he's, a, uh, you know, one of the people that runs the school, and I'm one of the students in the school. So the last thing he could say is, yeah, you know what, sneak out of here tonight. <laughs> or hey, I'll give you a ride. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's go together. Let's, you know, it's a good idea. I haven't been there in two years. Let's, <laughs> let's hit the road. So none of that was going to happen. But he could. What he could say was, "You got to do what you got to do, right?" And that's probably how he had earned a lot of his experience uh, in life. You you got to do what you got to do. You have to change perspectives when your kids get out of college, or when your wife dies, or you know, you change perspectives. Mm -hmm. Look at life. Uh, in a completely different way now and adjust to it rather than just, and and a, there's a percentage of people that I'm sure do just fall apart. You you know people who have, I know people who have, whose lives, they never did, the, the, the change of perspective was less than self-serving and it, and it was found, they found a way to ruin their lives instead. Because you always have those choices. Because they fight reality. 
Yeah. 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 You don't want it to be that way and you don't know what to do about it. So you just collapse. And I can, I have brothers and sisters that made those horrendous choices, yeah. you know? Um, so I think you're focusing on the last part of the chapter, which is, there wasn't much to it other than that anyway, <laughs> but, um, no. we're setting up, but let's say, uh, let's say that you put yourself in the shoes of brother Allen or just a person who mm -hmm. is a mentor to kids, mm -hmm. even a father uh, of children and say a 15 year old grandson came up to you because that's possible at this point, mm -hmm. uh, comes up to you and starts asking you about Mardi Gras or something similar to Mardi Gras. And you have, Maybe burning you, man. Maybe you have it. Yeah, Burning Man or Coachella or something. Uh -huh. Um, and start saying, you know, I want to, I want to go there. Do you tell your grandson, you gotta do what you gotta do? Do you tell uh one of my kids or somebody, you know, somebody just a friend's kid, you gotta do what you gotta do? Or would you no. say something different? Yeah, my my <laughs> first uh, if I had the experience. My the first part of my response would be, let me tell you about what I experienced. And I would tell them all the good news and all the bad news. And then I would follow up with, let me tell you what you can expect, you 15-year-old. Right. I would not, I would not, to anyone that I was related to, or even not related to, I would not say, you got to do what you got to do. Because I think that's stepping away from it. I think if somebody asked me, I've been to Mardi Gras three times, once as a teenager and twice as an adult. And honestly, the two times as an adult, I was with people that was a, it was just a terrible mistake to go with those people. <laughs> I ended up babysitting people who weren't babies, you know. <laughs> um but I have that experience. So if somebody would say, well, you know, what would you, if I have a chance to go to Mardi Gras? As a matter of fact, uh, which one of my daughters? Oh, Sean. Well, when she was in college, she had a friend uh, that's the, the friend that's a doctor in Tampa, or Beth. She said, let's go to Mardi Gras. And so Sean called me, and I think she was probably a junior in college at the time. Said, Beth wants to go to Mardi Gras. Uh, what do you think? And I said, well, let me tell you my experience. Mm -hmm. And I told her my experience. And uh, she said, well, yeah, but would you go, if you were me, would you go? And I said, I can't, I can't make that decision. I can only tell you my experience and ask you to be careful. But I can neither ask you to go, nor can I ask you not to go. That's up to you. And so that was the, that would have been a conversation that I would have had, had I been a Christian brother, and one of my students asked me about Mardi Gras. Right. Here's my experience. You have to make up your own mind. Yeah, but you wouldn't expect them to leave school and go do it. No, I, his, <laughs> you, you, the, the, I think that was probably my taking advantage of what he said. Right. My mentor just said, you got to do what you got to do. Well, Permission granted. Yeah, that, that's that's exactly. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, I get that. I got to do this right. today, right now. Yeah, I got to do this today, right now. I you am are one of those people. Yeah. So as soon as you like 
get all the facts and make that decision. Let's do it now. Well, I don't want to wait. Yeah. That's, <laughs> I'm going to buy a new car today. That's, <laughs> that's Toby. <laughs> that's, uh, that's kind of my, and that's kind of the personality that, that I developed. I don't know if it developed as far back as there, but once I made the decision, uh, I go with it, you know? Uh, and, and again, it goes back to confidence and things like that. Who at age 15 would say to themselves, I'm going to steal my Uncle Carlos's motorcycle and head for New Orleans, not ever having traveled outside the state of New Mexico with anyone but your parents. You know, so it Spoiler was... Spoiler alert. <laughs> so uh, it, was, uh, it was a matter of having uh, the level of confidence that you could pull this off. Mm-hmm. And why not? If you can pull it off, why not? I mean... Well, and that's what... That's what's special about young teens, I think. There's you know, no obstacles. A lot of, especially in, yeah. especially one like you, who uh, you're the oldest in your family. You had a, a lot of uh, adults in your family who, I mean, you were doing really things that we wouldn't do, let our kids do nowadays. No. Going no. out on your bike for a weekend, a weekend. to go camping by yourself. Yeah. Um, working on a ranch, uh-huh. riding horses and working with cowboys and just all the things that you did were very, what we would consider very adult right now uh, at, at the ages you were doing that. Uh, dirt bikes and motorbikes uh-huh. and everything else. Uh, just there was a lot of stuff you were doing that I'm sure as a parent, you would have not let your kids you know, do when it. When my at that daughters young age. were talking about going to camp, I spent a week looking for the best possible camp that had good reputation, cost the fortune, and was going to ensure <laughs> that my daughters were going to have the best two week camp experience. And what was fun about it is after I did all the research, uh, the other parents that had daughters uh, wanted to do it as well. And so I don't know, after uh, Ryan was 11, Every year after that, until they graduated from high school, they'd all go off to camp together. And they'd come back tanned and a little bit more muscular and ready for the fall soccer season. And, you know, but if Ryan had said, Dad, I'm, I'm going to go with my friends on a motorcycle to Mardi Gras, that, that would have been it. <laughs> no, the hell you are. No, you are not. Yeah. So. Yeah. Let's talk about the other part of the chapter. Um, Good-natured rivalry. And gentlemen who really enjoyed playing the game. I feel like like a lot of that got lost somewhere (laughs) back in the 60s. It got lost in the 60s. You know, we didn't bring it forward with us. Uh, Nowadays, people are taking sports children's sports even so seriously and uh it's it there's so much pressure on kids to you know to play perfectly Mm -hmm. and and um, bring home trophies and all of that you guys were playing for fun you enjoyed the game uh didn't matter who won you what mattered was you got to play and you had a good time we the christian brothers while they didn't say constantly, you have to behave like gentlemen, the expectation was you were going to behave like gentlemen. And we weren't out east where gentlemen played lacrosse or or uh, polo. Um, we were in Santa Fe, 
and we didn't have a baseball field. We converted the inside of the football or football practice field because we didn't have our own football field either. We converted that into the baseball field, and, and the bases weren't bags. They were pieces of wood. And But there, the, the fact that you didn't have those things shouldn't have prevented you from uh, enjoying the sport, enjoying the camaraderie associated with the sport, and knowing that on any given day, on any give, at any given game, you could your team could be made up of the guys that you're playing against today, right? And that's what kept it at a general. And nobody, while, while we kept the score towards the end of the game, I don't think by the next day anybody could a remember the score, and and b remember how well you did the week before at the similar game, et cetera, et cetera. It was all it was just a game. And I have to tell you now for I don't know for several weeks I don't know what I swiped, but Instagram <laughs> was showing me reels and it was sports, and it was literally the worst of sports, people beating up on each other. Uh, kids wrestling and throwing each other around and then one having to apologize basketball where people were throwing basketballs at each. It was literally the worst of sports. And so I stopped, I stopped swiping because that's what they tell me. He really likes this stuff. And I don't know how not, I don't know how to stop it. So what I started doing is I started searching for, uh, 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 good spirited sports, Right. And now what I get are kids at baseball uh, where the kid hits a home run, it's caught, and the, the little kid throws it all the way home for the putout, and nobody starts a fight, right? These, these were the kind of sports that you were describing where the parents are, are just too loud. You know, you don't need to be that loud at a children's sports game. It's just a game. Nobody's earning money at, at watching that game. So it was for a little while, I was very discouraged by the fact that Instagram thought <laughs> that I would really enjoy that. And what I enjoy most of all is cats being funny and babies <laughs> being funny. I'm like, why are you showing me this? Yeah. So I started searching for other stuff, you know, show me some funny cats or uh, some w whatever. Yeah. Uh, because they were presenting to me and I, I realized that's kind of what it is now. It's very, it's very driven by the parents, all type A personalities that want their children to be the best at everything and will do anything, including, you know, sending them to schools. Well, the biggest challenge I had as a soccer coach was having to explain to your to a parent uh, that you're wasting your money. Your daughter's not going to play college soccer. Uh, I mean, that was just the nature. Of, you knew that. Let her have fun now. Let her enjoy it. She'll probably make her uh, high school team, but she's not going to get a scholarship to a Division One soccer girls soccer team. It's just not going to happen. Or, and here's here's why. Because what they would want to know. We we actually uh, in our on our soccer team uh, the assistant coach, uh, my good friend Dennis. He he was responsible for keeping the statistics, and that sounds crazy for a young girls team. But the statistics, the reason we started keeping them is because the statistics would indicate the category, uh, how good the girl was, the individual was. Because at the end of the year, in order to improve, you had to drop two girls and you had to pick up two new girls. That was the rules of the, you had to drop your two girls and they would go to another team at a, because we had five divisions, right? 
And so you had to keep those statistics. And every year, some parent would ask me, how do you know which two to drop? And I would take out this little notebook and I would show them the statistics, time on the field, this goal scored while she's on the field, goals scored herself, goals defended, how many goals were scored against us when she was on the, et cetera. We kept those statistics. And uh, they were very, they very accurately represented each of the young ladies' uh, capabilities. And as a result of that, we played Division One for several seasons, right? That be, before they went on to even like I got, there got to a point with each of my daughters where I couldn't coach them anymore. They had gone beyond what I was capable of, so they'd go to what's referred to as the Premier League, and they play at that level. But at the same time, I saw parents who were living vicariously via the exploits of their daughters. And their daughters weren't always capable of being able to satisfy that parent's needs. Um, and I think you're right. I think the difference is, I don't, I don't, I played sports all the way through high school. I started in Little League playing Little League baseball. Uh, and then when I went to college, I mean, I'm sorry, when I went to high school, I played uh, tennis and football, and then these pickup games of baseball. And by the time I got to college, I wasn't I wasn't big enough or skilled enough for any of those. So whatever I played in in college was always pickup games, football, baseball, you know. And that was before uh, soccer. Before soccer was a big thing. But I don't ever remember um, fighting. I don't re ever remember looking for a way to fight anybody else on on the other team. I don't. I, I remember going to uh, Los Alamos, and the Los Alamos fans were a little bit rough. We had to get to the bus real quick and get back on the road, take the road back down from Los Alamos faster than we we wanted to. But it was the way to do it. But I don't remember loud, angry parents. You know, mm -hmm. maybe I just didn't hear them because I was down on the field. But I don't remember loud, angry parents. I don't ever remember. My dad used to go to my baseball games before he passed away. Uh, and I don't remember him yelling, you know, come on, killer, get him. You know, I don't I don't remember that. We'd, we'd, we'd have a good game. Uh, and, and it was the same with the girls. The girls, we, you know, sometimes I would have to, I had to, one of those, the crew cab. So sometimes I'd pick up girls and we'd take them to the game and then I'd drop them off. By the time we were at the pickup, the conversation about where it was, where are we going to stop for ice cream? Not whether we won or lost or who scored goals or not. It's, Mr. Wire, are we going to stop for ice cream? Well, of course we're going to stop for ice cream because that is the most important thing in the world. <laughs> right? It has nothing to do with the fact that we just lost the game four to nothing, you know? <laughs> So uh, it's because we did. I mean, we had wins and we had losses. There was one season where we had all straight wins. And then one season we had all straight, we didn't win a game. And we had to drop down a division as a result because the two team, two lowest teams had to drop. It took us two seasons to get back up to division one. But, but it, whether they won or lost, whether they had scored 10 goals against a team or they had 10 goals scored against them, the most important thing in life at that point was where are we going to get some ice cream? And damn, if I didn't, that, this is before Siri was the nearest <laughs> 31 flavors. I went, look, no matter where we were in, when we played 
in D.C. It was the Washington Area Girls Soccer League. And we played in D.C., we played in Maryland, and we played all over Virginia. So you could be in any town in the, the tribe, tri, it's not state, but that tribe area. And uh, the most important thing was where the nearest 31 flavors was. And then, of course, you'd walk in with a team of 15 little girls wanting different kinds of ice cream. It's always a right to watch. I just used to sit back, you know, and watch. Well, this is going to be good. It was always a lot of fun. I don't remember anger. I don't remember yelling. I don't remember fighting. I don't remember poor sportsmanship, although I'm sure there was. Maybe that's just the way I want to remember it. Uh, but I have a sense it just wasn't like that. I have no, I have no negative memories of sports uh, until kind of my last couple of seasons as a soccer coach when I realized the parents were getting a little bit more type A than I needed them to be. And, and I used to have, I used to, I used to, I can't tell you how many times I have the conversation. I'd take them aside and I'd say, you're going to have to do me a favor. You cannot be telling your daughter things on the field that are in contradiction, direct contradiction to what I've asked her to do. That's going to confuse her and it's going to eventually upset her. So I'd appreciate it if you just not yell those instructions to her. Cheer for her. Tell her when she's doing great. And don't say anything when she's not. I had hundreds of those conversations. And for the most part, um, they... You had to coach the parents, too, huh? You did. It, there was occasion. <laughs> or I'd say, you know, you'd make a great soccer coach. Can I get you to sign up for next year? And that would usually... Because it was a lot of work. It was a lot of time and a lot of work. So. Yeah. So what's the theme in this... Uh, well, I think I think the theme had to be that uh, we need somebody that we trust to share our, you know, deepest thoughts. Yeah, our secrets. Yeah. yeah. That, you know, have to come out and we need somebody that we can trust to do that with. So I think it's a, it's kind of about trust because mm -hmm. you shared that with him. I mean, you didn't go all the way and say, I'm going to go. Right. But you said, I, I'm going to go someday. Mm -hmm. uh, so you were, you know, kind of like a, testing the waters, like we said. And, and I don't know necessarily that that was the last of those kinds of conversations that I had with anyone before I made the decision. Mm -hmm. Right. You, you, at that age, the wisest thing that you can do is have as many conversations as you can without completely giving away what's in your head, right? Because they're, then they're going to stop you. I'm going to go steal my uncle's motorcycle and head for New Orleans. Oh, no, you're <laughs> not. I can think of a dozen ways that I could get stopped from doing that. Yeah. So you have to get the advice. And and by the time, by the time, and I don't want to give away um, the uh, what's in future chapters, but by the time I get to the conversation with Carlos, Right. There's a mentor that probably has a sense of what I'm experiencing and what I need to do. Now, would I, if I had a nephew that was 50, if Griffin came to me now and he said, Uncle Toby, I need to borrow your truck because I want to drive to, I don't know, Coachella. <laughs> I don't, I don't. I don't, I can't, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't, right. 
you know, I might say, well, let me just go with you this first time. Yeah. But you have to also consider Carlos wasn't a dad. Yeah, that's true. That's true. He didn't have any children. So he looked at you more of, and again, everybody treated you like you were very mature. Mm -hmm. uh, once you didn't have a father anymore, it was like, okay, you're the man of the house mm -hmm. now. So we're going to treat you that way. You're grown up and you've, you got to do something, go do it, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. Nobody ever said no. You know, there, there are at least, a, uh, I don't want to say a dozen, a half dozen people that could have said, Desitobe, this or Michael, this is a really bad idea. You know, mm -hmm. nobody did that. Nobody ever said, this is a really bad idea. Everybody gave like, because you didn't ask brother, the people who would say that. Right. You brother brother Alan. <laughs> yeah. Brother Alan. Well, I, I don't think I could have had that conversation with my mom. Right. I don't think it was the kind of thing. It, it's not the kind of conversation I could have had with her because she was so practical and down to earth and all about her own world that the idea that I was even considering that, she just, she'd huff away, you know, like, <laughs> stupido, and just walk off. Um. But there were a lot of people who were going like, huh? you know, you got to do what you got to do. And so, and I think, I'm trying to think, I don't think there was any, any females involved in this process. It was all males. And they all had kind of their own reputations for having been rather adventurous as well. Right. Those are the people you went yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so maybe Those there was are the people a, you wanted to become. Right. Yeah. I I I by this time what I knew about Carlos was that he had spent 20 years in the Air Force, that he had flown the hump during World War II, that he had been you know made the highest non-commissioned officer's rank and then bu been busted back down three times. Like he would do that just because he was he would go into a bar and he was I think he was about an inch and a half shorter than me. But he was sinewed. He was all muscle. And if you put a couple of drinks in him, he was he'd just find a way to pick a fight with somebody. And usually it was an officer. And you can't strike an officer. You you'll either go to the brig or you're gonna get or go to get busted or you're or both. And he managed to do that. Then the next thing I know, he's headed off to Alaska. He's gone for four months, comes back, and he's got jars full of gold nuggets. Like, oh. I want to be that guy. Yeah. On his motorcycle. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So those were your um, role models. They they were, but at the same time, I had an Uncle Mundi who was very practical, very pragmatic, shared with me things like how to become a ham radio operator, taught me how, um, taught me how to operate a radio station at, at the age of 12 and 13. Uh, Uncle Albert, who worked at Los Alamos and had conversations with me, you know, the reason you and I can have conversations about uh, the history of the atomic energy is because I learned all of that from my Uncle Albert. He was the first one that showed me a piece of Trinitite that he had in his, had in his house, and he'd run a Geiger counter over it. So... I had uh, I had a bunch of different influencers that uh, on both ends of that spectrum, adventure to pragmatic uh, spectrum. So, what do you think we can look at in this chapter and say 
let's get back to that. Let's, let's find a way to be that again. What would you point at that would be the most admirable quality in there that you would want to hold on to and, and have people in, embody the future generations? Sportsmanship. Yeah. But not just limited to sports, right? You can apply the principles of good sportsmanship in every, almost everything, all of your behaviors, whether it's uh, politics, uh, debate. I, you know, I, went, I, I participated in hundreds of debates, and I don't remember anyone, anyone in which I walked away fr from that debate without shaking the opponent's hands and telling them how good they were because that was good sportsmanship. They may have beat you, you might have beat them, but good sportsmanship insists that you treat each other with respect. Where did you see that modeled that you learned? it? Well, in almost, so I played tennis. I played football up in, uh, through my junior year. I didn't play my senior year, but I played tennis all three years. Uh, I played chess. And I participated in uh, forensics. And I bo did both debate and uh, the last two years, I also did extemporaneous speaking. Those are all com competitive. They give trophies at the end of each one of those things, right? Whether it's a chess game, a, a debate, uh, extemporaneous speaking, football or tennis, somebody gets a trophy. It's, it's trial by combat, if you will, right? But I don't ever remember being angry at my opponents or wanting to fight my opponents. It all, all had to do with, you just didn't do that. Good sportsman, if you're a good sportsman, you won and lost equally well. And I think if you just applied that to life, not that, and I'm not one of those guys that says sports is everything in life. That's not what I'm talking about. You can, you can live without sports. I think it's more difficult to live without good sportsmanship, whether you're a, whether you're a jock or not. Apply it to life. You know, you're going to win some. You're going to lose some. Your behavior should be the the same in each case. Your behavior to opponent, your opponent should be the same in each case, and you should be treating them in my case like a gentleman or a gentle lady, without having to pick a fight or getting mad or getting angry because you're losing, or getting obnoxious because you're winning. That's a, that's a good lesson. Do you think that? Um, young people today have a role model for that? Not if they watch TV, right? If you look at especially professional sports, there's just too much. You can't watch a, a, a National Basketball League uh, game without seeing uh, a lot of anger, um, an occasional serious fight, sometimes with injuries, uh, arguing with the fans, the fans being jerks, you know, they're so close to the floor, especially in, in basketball. Uh, baseball, how many players are hit with baseballs and charge the, uh, uh, the pitcher? You know, I, 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 don't, I don't know that it's sports as watched on TV because it's not sports, it's performance, it's entertainment. Um, so I think if you're not learning it from your parents, your tendency will be to learn it from social media and social media will let you flip through what you're interested in. So if you see a lot of baseball fights or soccer fights or uh, hockey, 
mean, I don't see how you can go to a hockey game and expect not to see some kind of fight. I mean, it's part of the, it seems like it's part of the game. Yeah. They say I went to a fight in a hockey game bro- yeah. broke out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. That's kind of it. So I think, I think some of it's going to be dependent upon uh, your parents and how they see the world. Not, not that they should be pro sports or anti sports, but they should be pro good sportsmanship. Uh, and your friends, your, your friends probably during this period, especially during high school, you know, they're your friends from the time you're about 12 to the time you graduate from college are going to have the most influence on you. I used to have this conversation, this is another conversation I used to have with, uh, with parents and they'd, they'd ask about their daughter and why her personality or, you know, why, why her, she, I said, you know what? I get your daughter twice a week for a total of three hours in practice and then a 90 minute game on Saturdays or Sundays. The rest of their time, their time, they're with you. So I, I don't have the influence that you do. I can make your daughter a better soccer player, but I can't make her a better person. That's up to you. And if you're not a better person, you're not going to be a better soccer player or anything else. <laughs> all right. Well, I think that's all I have to... Uh discuss for today's chapter since especially since it was only two pages long. Say, it's hard to pull a lot out of that <laughs> <laughs> i was going to say but if pages. you have not yet watched our other episodes chapters one through five make sure you do check those out and uh, get a good understanding of a gypsy's kiss a treasure hunt adventure um we try to pull everything out of these chapters that we can if you see something that we don't write to us and you know, share a story with us. Uh, you can write to us in the comments on our YouTube videos or on our podcast, or you can uh, write to us at stories at agkmedia.studio. Share your stories with us. Let us know who were your role models and why, and what were your experiences with yeah. uh, sportsmanlike conduct or non sportsmanlike conduct and uh what did you learn from those situations because that's i think every situation in our life we can find something uh that we learned from it and even if it's a, only a two-page chapter <laughs> so i graduated from high school in 1966 so that's the period that we're talking about here i'm going to guess that if you graduated from high school in 1976 or 1986 or 96 or 2006 your experiences your high school experiences would be significantly different from mine or shelley's right so well i have my rosy glasses view of that period that doesn't mean it applies to all those other periods but at the same time <coughs> excuse me you might have that same rosy glasses view of that period tell us about it i'd be interested to hear like oh it must have been nice to be growing up then in 66 when everything was less complex etc it was it was less complex and less complicated but i'd like to hear what was more complex more complicated about yours and how you dealt with it and come back again next week for chapter seven i wait i'm behind here i didn't <laughs> i didn't turn my banner on didn't even turn it on? No, so oh, I don't boy. have to turn it off. Okay. All right, say goodbye so I can do the outro. All right. Be sure to check out our other videos, and we'll see you again next week. Take care, guys. 
Thanks for listening to Our Story, Your Story. We hope you enjoyed hearing our stories and those of our guests. We invite you to share your own stories with us by emailing us at stories at agkmedia.studio. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss any future episodes. Until next time, keep telling your story because your story matters.